The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with John Thomas Flynn, who is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, John Thomas Flynn. Welcome, everyone. I'm broadcasting today at New America, a public policy think tank here in Washington, D.C., where we just heard from a panel discussing how smart city technology helped Houston, Texas rebuild after Hurricane Harvey in 2017. The panel focused on advancements in technology that helped rebuild America's third largest city and featured presentations from Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner, Microsoft President of U.S. Regulated Industries, Tony Tones Whitley, and New America Cybersecurity Fellow, Natasha Cohen. Mayor Turner and Tony Towns Whitley have joined me to further explore how Houston was able to apply artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, machine learning, and data analytics to a host of municipal departments, better to serve the city residents by uniting policymakers, business leaders, to create a truly smart city. So welcome, Mayor Tony, to Ask the CIO SLED Edition, part of Federal News Radio's state and local program. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to start, Mayor Turner. We talked uh, in your panel about what a smart city is and and why you went after this. And but let's get into it a little more deeply. Deeply. From my background and experience, I've I've smart cities has evolved from basic three one one reporting dead animals and uh, potholes, right. and now it's it's completely changed. The whole arena is uh, is much more broad. What what are some of the areas that Houston was particularly focusing on? Well, we're focusing on, especially with Microsoft, when on transportation, public safety, schools. Uh, quite frankly, working with them very closely to create this inter, uh, this connected infrastructure. I mean, the goal post Harvey is to build a city that's stronger, more resilient, more sustainable, uh, and we can achieve that uh, through the smart city. Uh, and it's constantly innovating. I mean, things technology that exists today may not ex- you know changing tomorrow. But we had to define what is it that we are seeking to do. Mm-hmm. We are a very diverse city, but we need to be a very inclusive city. Tony, how did you get involved, and what is Microsoft's role? Yeah, so Microsoft has been working with the city uh, and throughout, really, uh, the state of Texas for probably a couple of decades. How we got involved, when this mayor uh, really put out the vision that said, I want a fully integrated, connected infrastructure across multiple sectors. We looked at a technology answer for that, which said, hey, a single cloud platform with integration points across various different function points of the city. And most importantly, we brought a partner ecosystem. We brought 150 partners and called that list down to meet the needs of this specific city and of this plan. So we were invited in on the visionary part of it, and then we started to expand in our thinking, bringing a partner ecosystem and and collectively trying to build out, if you will, uh, an architecture that now is serving not only transportation from a fleet side for the citizen, but also smart buildings, also, if you will, disaster recovery, also citizen sentiment analysis. So we've moved into a lot of different areas. I know both of you explained during the panel that there was a, there was somewhat of a balancing act among the various stakeholders here, from the citizens, public organizations, unions, state and local government, private enterprises. Explain how you got them to, to play nicely, Mayor. Well, the approach has to be collaborative. If, it, if it's not, then uh, there's not enough, let's say, resources for everybody to do their own thing individually. And if you try to do it individually, you're not creating that connective in- infrastructure. So, um, look, we're, we're, the city of Houston is having to now, um, we're having to sprint to the, to, to the, to the finish line. Uh, for, Har- for us, Harvey was an acute shock. And the question is, how do you survive after Harvey? 
but how do you adapt and how do you grow? And how do you improve your operations that the people of the city of Houston will benefit? Their quality of life can be enhanced. And so, quite frankly, we are a very interconnected community, and, uh, and we have to work uh, together in order to achieve our overall objectives. And we've decided we need to play in a very integrated, robust fashion. You know, it's really interesting. One of the initial uh, uh, issues I got involved with this whole thing of smart cities before it was even called smart cities is when mm. is municipal broadband. When uh, cities and, and towns tried to build their own mm. Wi-Fi systems and go that way. And to be honest, the road to hell is paved with the skulls of some uh, of the leaders uh, uh, of those organizations, those municipalities, uh, that, that tried to do so, that got out in front of it. So, uh, and one of the things, being a former CIO, I know, to get anything done IT-wise, you don't depend on the propeller heads. They're not, the project's doomed. you got to get an executive champion. You risk a lot. You risk a lot, Mayor. Tell us about that, the decision you make to really go. I mean, your, state, your reputation is at stake on this. Right, but um, if the city's not moving, if you're standing still, you're moving backwards. And... Look, I, I come from a city where we, if it's a can-do city with big, visionary, bold leadership. It was because of that we have the Ship Channel, number one in foreign tonnage in the United States. We have the energy capital of the world. We have the largest medical center of the world. But those were all things that were started and initiated years before I came on the scene. We just can't keep telling that same story uh, because we are competing against cities across the globe. And, uh, and so we have to compete. Uh, my deal is that if we don't, we lose. And so they, uh, we have to innovate. Uh, we have to recognize, for example, just in terms of storms. We've, we face three 500-year storms in three consecutive years. Who, gonna, who, who will continue to come to your city if you don't build a stronger, more resilient city? Who's going to develop that? What about our schools? Who's going to protect our kids? And what about our transportation system? We're going to choke ourselves to death if we stay in our cars and trucks. So we have to change things. And in order for that to take place, we have no choice but to look for partners who are willing to work with us and turn this into a win-win. Not just say, come and benefit the city of Houston at your, at your expense. We are saying, look, come leverage with us. We want to partner with you. Let's make this a win-win. And if it's a win for the city of Houston, if it's a win, for example, for Microsoft and the community of partners that they bring, then that's, that's the, in the best interest of the people that I serve. Mayor Turner, during your panel, you discussed the huge impact Hurricane Harvey had on Houston and how this became the catalyst to not just rebuild Houston, but to rebuild Houston smarter. Please elaborate on this because I think it's critically important. We would be making a serious mistake, but we were trying to rebuild, put things back the way they were. But that doesn't provide, make a resilient city. And so what we've said is that we want to build forward. We want to build stronger, resilient, more sustainable. So how can we improve our efficiencies? How can we operate so much better? Uh, which means we've got to take advantage of all the emerging technologies that are coming about to connect our infrastructure so we'll be better prepared the next time around. Uh, we, we have to deal with, for Harvey, for example, that was... Um, 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 how can I put it? That was, you know, we deal with our stresses and shocks. That was a chronic shock. But we have to deal with our chronic stresses. And we have to do it in such a way that regardless of what comes our way, not only will we, we want to survive, we want to adapt, we want to thrive, we want to grow an economy, and we want to be able to pull people together.
when you become, when you're so diverse, and that's not, I'm just not speaking in terms of ethnicity or language of all of that, but you're diverse in so many different ways. City of Houston is 640 square miles. There are a lot of people within it and a lot of industry as residents themselves. So what's important is how do you pull it all together and how do you do it in such a way where you have limited budgets, okay? Uh, and I think what we, what we were saying to people in the city of Houston, whether you were a residential homeowner or a renter or a, or a business person, these events are going to keep coming. So how do we protect persons and how do we protect our property? And then how do we continue to grow and thrive from an economic point of view? And in order to do that, we have to, we have to work in tandem, collaboratively. Uh, I agree with Tony had to say, you know, if you don't work uh, in tandem with one another, if you don't utilize all of the technologies that are coming on board, if you're not innovative, okay, if you don't create that infrastructure that can withstand your stresses and your shocks, you are not going to be that city of the future. And so for us, um, we can't just talk about being the energy capital of the world or the largest medical center in the world, Johnson Space Center, and stop. That won't, that won't get it for tomorrow and for the days after. So we have to become that smart city uh, where we are utilizing technologies in such a way that we are stronger, that when things happen, whether in schools or transportation or the environment, we're getting information that's needed, and we are sharing that information uh, across multiple departments for the benefit not of the city but the people who live in our city, that we're enhancing their quality of life, uh, and that we, are, we remain highly competitive, not just in the state of Texas or in the United States, but competitive on a global level. And you can only do that uh, when you are creating what we are defining as a smart city. We are competing against London. Okay? And I've talked with the mayor there, and he said, you know, Mayor, we're creating the city of AI. I said, well, you know, so are we. You know? <laughs> and so the question, the question is, who, who's going to get out front? And we had a wake-up call. You know, there was one company that, you know, passed us by. I'm not going to mention their name, but, you know, I'm very grateful for the Microsofts of the world who recognize um, gifts and talents in the city of Houston. Um, but we rec but when, it came, when it came to venture capital, uh, for the city of Houston, we were not in the top 20. We were like 31 in the Coffin Foundation. And we are the city of Houston. Uh, and we said, that, that will not work. That will not work. And so in order for us, if we play together collaboratively with all of what we have in the city of Houston, we win. But if we, if we have these silos and everybody is doing their things within their own sector, but we don't have an integrated, robust ecosystem, then we are not going to be competitive. And the people in the city of Houston decided this is not for a particular industry, okay? This is not for a particular sector. This is not the energy area. This is not the healthcare area. Uh, we needed to come up with a strategy and approach that would benefit the city as a whole and together, let's work together to advance the city of Houston as a smart city and utilize everything that we have available and partner with others who can help move us further down the road. So we've decided to play. We'll take a short break now. We're broadcasting today from the New America Public Policy Think Tank in Washington, D.C. Our guests today are Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner and Tony Towns Whitley, Microsoft President of U.S. Regulated Industries. You're listening to Ask the CIO SLED Edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn. 
On the 69th anniversary of the FBI's 10 Most Wanted Fugitives list, the Bureau attributes the public to much of the list's success. The Top 10 program, as it's commonly called, has evolved over the years, but the objective remains the same, to publicize dangerous fugitives who might not otherwise merit national attention. Out of the 521 fugitives who have been added to the list since its inception, 488 of them have been apprehended or located. Unit Chief Chris Allen. 162 fugitives or approximately one-third, have been captured or located as a result of citizen cooperation. It's publicity that made the difference in those cases. The Top 10 program also relies heavily on the assistance of the media. In fact, the FBI stood up the list after a newspaper article about the Bureau's toughest guys generated positive publicity. To check out the 10 most wanted fugitives list, visit fbi.gov forward slash wanted. You can also report tips on the website. With Wanted by the FBI, I'm Molly Halpern of the Bureau. Welcome back to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn, and we're broadcasting today from the New America Public Policy Think Tank in Washington, D.C. My guests today are Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner and Tony Towns Whitley, Microsoft President of U.S. Regulated Industries. Some critics say that often smart city initiatives have largely failed to acknowledge the challenge prevented by the so-called digital divide. That is, the social and economic inequalities which come about as a result of uh, who has access to this communication technology, et cetera. That's a tough one, right? What are you doing there? It's a tough one, but you got to look at how this was designed in Houston. Providing connectivity, providing Wi-Fi on public transportation, light rail and buses, is part of, if you will, redistributing that, that, that digital divide starting to look at safety of schools and, and, and the safety of buildings. It's about bringing people with access. Maybe for those buildings and those schools, that's the only place they may have access. They may not have it residentially. So you start to look at the way it was framed. It was framed with the diversity of Houston in mind, but a sense of equi- sort of the equitable access. And that was really part of the first projects that we did. So I actually think it's, it can be designed in, but I think you're absolutely right. If you're not thoughtful about it and intentional, you can end up with a bigger divide than what you started, but it's a very, a very high-tech city with a greater divide if you don't start to plan it in. Thank you. Let me, let me just, because this is a very important one. I thought I'd you keep know, you for here for because, that one. Because, but first, we said, you know, that we didn't, I didn't want to be the mayor of two cities in one, half and half not. So we came up with the strategy of complete communities, serving communities that have been underserved and under-resourced. That was strategy number one. What we are doing now in creating this smart city is that we are, we are integrating that with the concept of building complete communities. So uh, this is now where we're doing something outside of communities that have been underserved and under-resourced, where the digital divide is at its, is at its, its greatest. This is something where we have defined what the city's needs are. We are taking smart cities and we are putting it fully within Uh, the strategies of lifting every neighborhood, every community. So as Tony said, when you're talking about transportation, who's riding our buses, okay? Uh, When you talk about schools, where we are working, we're working with schools in these underserved communities. Air quality, who's breathing that bad air? So the smart city for us is is, is a tool to improve all communities so we don't leave anyone behind and we recognize in a city where their budgets do, are not big enough to meet all of our needs, we have to utilize a strategy where we can do more with less. And the smart city concept is working to achieve those overall objectives. So in this framework, 
the least of those in my city are benefited by creating and, dev- and designing an innovative ecosystem, smart city that takes a very diverse community and makes it much more inclusive. And that's a good thing. Hi, Tony. With all the wonderful connected and interconnected devices, uh, ironically, uh, in sense, we have all this information now. And obviously, Microsoft is a huge part of collecting, providing access, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a very interesting uh, book that just came out. Um, And it's ironic, I guess, that some cities who had their dreams of municipal networks weren't able to do that. But others have forged ahead with wireless networks for an altogether different purpose, surveillance. Mm, And there's a woman named Shoshana Zupoff. Mm. You may have heard of her. She was the first female professor at Harvard Business School. And she wrote a landmark book, which I bet you've seen, called The Age of the Smart Machine, 30 years ago. And she just came out with a book literally this week. And it's, uh, it's called uh, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, The Fight for a Human Future at the New Frontier of Power. And it talks about how Ford Motor Company had uh, assembly line capitalism and uh, 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 General Motors had uh, uh, managerial capitalism. And the new capitalism is behavioral capitalism. And in a sense, it's surveillance capitalism, she writes, that unilaterally claims human experience as a free raw material for translation into behavioral data, which is a fancy way of saying they're watching us. Yeah. And, and with, with, as wonderful as all this is, it's certainly a big concern privacy-wide, isn't it? It is. And I mean, it's a, it's a fancy way of saying they're watching us and they're translating what they pull into an economic model. I, mean, yeah. I think that's where the concern is, the, the capitalistic sort of underpinning of that. Look, I think when we start talking about um, organizations like Microsoft that touch and engage with and, and help organizations and companies figure out how to store, compute, reason over large amounts of data. You start with, um, and I think one of the things that may differentiate us as a company, is this idea of what is your principled stance on the data? Who, who does the data belong to? You have to start with a, princ- a set of principles of which we put that in place almost a decade ago, as we started talking about cloud and data, we started to say, look, the data, we believe as a company that the data resides with that individual who created that data. So data and privacy is that for the user. And we've actually taken on our own Department of Justice at times when we've had to defend that position. So when I say that, as a company headquartered in the U.S., we've had a very robust track record of defending that privacy. We were one of the first to be on GDPR, the General Data Protection Mm -hmm. Uh, and having not only meeting that timeline, but helping our whole ecosystem, which is one of the largest partner ecosystems in the world, get ready for GDPR. And all of the things that come with that, right to audit data, right to be forgotten, right to be eliminated from a data file. So I think it's fair to say that the principled approach we've now taken to a very real public dialogue about from facial recognition, which you may have seen in the blog from our, our general counsel, Brad Smith, We've got an ethics, what we call an ethics board, that reports directly up to the CEO. I happen to sit on the sensitive use committee of that board to look at every case where we have to ask ourselves, what are the uses of this data? What, just because the technology can do something, it doesn't mean it should. And what principles are we going to follow? So we follow a decision matrix around where we will and will not support different programs. And it's based on this idea of the ethical use of privacy, of infringements on personal rights, on harm, and on, quite frankly, um, the 
the offering or the holding back of services to an individual because we know there's so many downstream effects. So the long and short of it is there is an economic model, I'm sure, that is in fact occurring around uh, experiential, uh, experiential surveillance, looking at how consumers buy. To be fair, we've been on that model for a while. I know the book is new, but if you think about how advertising occurs right now, if you look mm-hmm. at consumer buying patterns and what happens in retail, what's the online retail experience? Well, the online retail experience is the collection of consumer mm-hmm. data and preference, and then, if you will, the supply is brought to the demand. And obviously, there's very little you can do, uh, even when you're not online yourself. You're still being tracked in terms of, uh, that's why you see the ads that uh, You wonder why the ads pop up. Isn't that a coincidence? I might have mentioned that somewhere. So so I think the issue that it's here, supply and demand curves are changing. The behavior of individuals is a data input that is part of a lot of economic models for companies. It is part of understanding their consumer base. You know, Netflix made a whole business out of being able to understand consumer preference and redesign and create content. The challenge then is how do companies like Microsoft hold ourselves accountable and then also how do we ensure that we've got the appropriate level of regulation, which we've been saying there is a role for government in regulating some of these technologies as we move forward. Do you think the United States will see similar regulations like Europe, the one you mentioned before, was it GDPR? GDPR, the General Data Protection Rights. So, uh, rights. look, that kind of, you're right, moved into the U.S. from the European Union and, and all of the work they did. Um, we've got a sort of a different, a sort of a different com- uh, conversation that we have around privacy and data. I see when I look cross industry because I've had jobs that work cross sector within Microsoft. In automotive, uh, uh, drivers are willing to offer a lot of personal data for what they think is a value add of their car or of their automotive okay. uh, experience. And so we have different by sector healthcare. That's very different. I don't want to offer as much data. And so, but if I get an anonymized or an aggregated diagnostic benefit and I, I get a better diagnosis and that comes faster and it's real time, I might offer more data. So I think as a country, because of our size and complexity, mm-hmm. you have to go sector by sector. We have a different data threshold based on the sector. And so what we're learning is how do we customize for the sector? So I don't know if you'll see anything as far reaching as GDPR in the U.S. I think by sector, you will see privacy rules and regulations that increase over time. Well, we live in interesting times, don't we, we, Tony? Well, thank you very much for being on our show. We really enjoy it. uh, Enjoyed your participation and learned a lot. And it's a, it's a. There's a lot to be done out there, and a lot of interesting developments, and they're sure to come. And like we say, tomorrow will be better than today, right? We hope so. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. With that, we'll have to conclude our program today. I want to thank our guest, Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner, and Tony Towns Whitley, Microsoft President of U.S. Regulated Industries, and thank you for listening. Content from this state and local program, which also includes our curated news and original articles by yours truly and other more esteemed authors, is part of the recently expanded AskTheCIO.com. Hope you can join us again each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time or listen to a podcast afterwards. Until then, bye for now. I'm John Thomas Flynn. You've been listening to Ask the CIO, Sled Edition with John Thomas Flynn on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.
Follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Find us on Podcast One. Like us on Facebook. Our mission is helping you meet your mission. Federal News Network.